0: Get ready to dive into the world of comedy, film, and advocacy with our special guest, Nick Novicki. He's a comedian, actor, and the founder of the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge, an annual competition that provides a platform for new voices in the entertainment industry. You'll hear about Nick's journey and how he discovered his passion for comedy, from his early stand-up gigs in college to roles on popular TV shows like The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. Nick shares how he uses humor to navigate life as a little person and break down barriers. But his impact goes beyond the stage. He's a strong advocate for authentic representation of people with disabilities in media and believes in the power of storytelling to create change. Therein lies the disability film challenge. He shares the story of its humble beginnings and how it has now grown into a platform sponsored by major studios, networks, and Fortune 500 companies. Join us for an inspiring and heartfelt conversation as Nick shares his experiences, insights, and an unwavering commitment to breaking barriers through humor and storytelling. I hope you enjoy this conversation between host Eric Weinmeier and special guest Nick Novicki. I'm producer Diedrich Jonk, and this is the No Barriers Podcast.
1: It's easy to talk about the successes. But what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no-barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means, and part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. In that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call No Barriers. Hey everyone, welcome to the No Barriers podcast. Man, this is an exciting episode. God, I've been doing all my research and which, which involves watching TV and watching amazing comedy shows and stuff like that. So, not too hard. Don't feel sorry for me. But, Nick, it is fantastic to have
2: you on the podcast.
1: Thanks hey. for joining,
2: despite my internet challenges here. Well, thanks so much for having me. And as somebody who's done a lot of meetings during the pandemic, virtual, I've been there and I'm going to continue to be there. <laughs> hey, so I want to start with your amazing career here acting comedy writing directing producing
1: so what do you do in your free time
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got a two-year-old that likes swimming bike riding ping pong but yeah I pretty much le- live and breathe work comedy creating opportunities that's my passion are you a workaholic would you say I would say so yeah I as a comedian yeah I'm always thinking about jokes so you're always kind of in your head thinking about Could this be good for uh, a stand-up or a story? But then again, it's also something that I love. It's a passion. It's something that I don't always feel like it's work. You know, it certainly is because traveling a lot and it it takes a lot of time doing everything I do in in my career. But it's something that I love. And there's multiple layers of the work that I do, but it doesn't feel like I'm working even though... (laughs) I do have a tendency to be laying in bed and still kind of doing something. (laughs) Me too. I heard somewhere you mentioned
1: that you developed all these skill sets that you'd always be able to work. You know what I mean? You could fall back on different things and kind of have initiative and create your own destiny. You're not always relying on just acting, just comedy, right? Or is that totally wrong?
2: No, that's 100% correct. For those of you that can't see me, because I know the majority of you are listening, I'm a little person, I'm 3 foot 10, and I have been an actor and comedian uh, really since I was a kid. I've been in the business for quite a long time, and early on in my career I realized, "Hey, I'm 3 foot 10. If I want to play the kind of roles I want to play as an actor, uh, it's important for me to write, produce, create my own content." because no one's going to hire me to be the romantic lead or a gangster, so I need to do it myself. And that worked out for me. To date, I've been in 40 TV shows and movies. I got the chance to work with Martin Scorsese, the Farley Brothers. I was a voice character in the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. But the majority of this was self-driven with me writing, creating, and producing my own content. And then ultimately... 10 years ago, I looked around. I said to myself, why aren't more people with disabilities creating their own content? So I created the Disability Film Challenge, a five-day filmmaking competition where you have to have somebody with a disability in front of or behind the camera. And that's just grown year after year. I partnered with Easter Seals Southern California in 2017. It's now the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. And we had our 10th anniversary this year which was exciting with 115 films made from around the world
1: totally amazing man that's so cool yeah i've been checking them out and that's such a great thing you've developed and i want to get to that but i want to build some background first i guess yeah maybe talk a little bit about the comedy side before we move into the tv and the acting and the disability challenge so one you have this amazing comedy career when I and this is kind of a long-winded setup I hope you don't mind but so I was part of the National Federation of the Blind it's like an advocacy organization for, for, for blind people and they had this like no jokes about blindness kind of mentality like it's demeaning it really just brings us down and interest but that's not the case in my life I want you to know I could not survive without totally cracking up and the silly funny things that happened to me in life as a blind person like being on Denali and I'm Waving my ski pole at this plane that's overhead watching us summit, and I'm like, Hey, think that plane will know that I'm here? And my friends are like, Yeah, they're gonna know you're the only one waving your ski pole in the wrong direction, <laughs> or or like going into a bathroom and going into a bathroom and about sorry to be crass, but like whipping it out and thinking I'm in front of the urinal and somebody's already standing there and I'm about to pee on somebody. I mean, come on, you gotta like cry or laugh, yeah, and so I. I love humor, and I'm just curious how you integrate disability. Like, wh- what's the fine line? Because when I saw Josh Blue a couple times, he's been to our No Barrier Summit. The guy's like a genius in terms of integrating just like these are the crazy things that happen to you. And, it's, and it becomes almost educational, even though he's not trying to educate. He's trying to entertain. How do you
2: see it? Sure. So I see everything in my life is fair game to talk about. So for me, I'm a storyteller. So inspiration for my comedy comes from my life. And that includes my life as a husband, as a father, but certainly being three foot 10 integrates into a lot of funny stories and situations that I've been in. I have been trapped in elevators that I can't reach a button for. So I have had <laughs> a lot of things hey. that have happened where I break my arm dressed as a penguin. I And the fact that I'm a little person, it adds layers to it. All these different things that that I talk about, whether it's my wife, who's also a little person, my daughter, who we don't know yet if she's still going to be a little person. This is part of my life and my story, and I see me being able to talk about my life, including my life as a little person, is a blessing. And it's part of my superpower, I think. It's something that I can talk about authentically that shows my point of view and allows me to to be able to show what my life is like, including my life as a little person, including my life as somebody who grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, as somebody who has all these different passions. But I think When you're able to talk about your life and specifically your disability from an authentic point of view, it educates, it breaks the ice. I feel like I've been doing a version of stand-up comedy since I was born as a little person in New Haven, Connecticut. I use comedy, to be honest, as a little bit of a way to get out of trouble and being able to be funny and I never get picked on in an area where just people would... It was, my, it was a skill set that I had instinctually to break the ice and also something that I learned I was good at, whether it be doing impressions or it be talking about a situation when I was stuck somewhere, couldn't reach something, or wasn't able to walk or carry something. I found that it was able to break the ice not only for everybody else, but also for myself. Rather than being in a situation where I don't feel comfortable, I always enjoyed (laughs) making jokes about the situation. Really, my first stand-up wasn't really stand-up. I used to do speaking engagements for little people of America, and I would talk at rotary clubs, and I was a kid, and I'd be talking, and there was a podium, and so I would talk And I'd be like, hey, did did we forget the stool? Did anybody anybody think about me here? And so it was a bit that i do about being just hidden behind this stool. And I would jump in and out. And so the crowd would see me and then they wouldn't. I'd be like, I'm here. I'm not. Next time, let's bring a stool. And I realized at that moment that when I would do that, now I had the entire crowd laughing. And they were at the palm of my hand. And now I could talk about everything else I wanted to talk about. I think there's a lot of power in comedy and there's a lot of ability that we get to take ownership and to help make people listen. And I think sometimes just being an advocate is amazing, but I've found that I like to have comedy be a resource and a tool to get your point of view across and to, instead of just a lesson, let the lesson come through entertainment and comedy. To me, that's my favorite. When I can see somebody tell their point of view and give their message through poetry or rapping or comedy or something else. That's my philosophy in a very long-winded <laughs> way of of comedy and being
1: able to use No, that's fantastic. And I just want to emphasize something you said earlier, which is what we talk a lot about at No Barriers, which is making your challenge into your superpower, into your narrative, because there's great power there to make the world a better place and break through barriers and just have fun and connect, right? Because I I think a lot of us feel disconnected. So that connects us with with everyone in the community.
2: Yeah, I I agree 100%. I think look, this is who I am. I am a little person. I am different. I'm not going to try to hide and pretend I'm not a little person. I'm also not going to be a victim in circumstances in a grocery store when a kid is making a a joke or laughing or trying to figure out why I look the way I do or why I'm a grown man with a beard and I'm the same height. For me, it's much easier to just, (laughs) rather than be awkward and try to hide it, just be like, hey, what's up? What's your name? I'm Nick. Let's talk about this. And then I think, I'm now bridging that gap for this kid and also for the mom. And now this kid isn't scared of another little person. And I'm also not in an awkward situation. And sometimes there's funny situations that come. And sometimes I'm going to take that situation and bring that into my act. If it's another country that I'm in or (laughs) a funny scenario, because I've had the honor to tour all over the world. I've performed on six continents. I've done tours for U.S. troops, NATO troops around the world. And the beauty amazing. of Amazing. Six continents. It was a USO tour, right? Yeah, USO and Armed
1: Forces Entertainment. And Nick, I went over and spoke in Russia one time, and they said, tell me about your content. And I would started talking about these amazing people with different kinds of challenges doing amazing things. And this guy told you, this friend of mine, Sebastian, who's a quad and paraglided off this, these tall peaks in Ecuador— and they were silent. And and I thought, why is everything so silent here? And they said, because in Russia, disabled people, you never see anybody disabled. You never, you don't speak about disability. It's not part of our culture. We sweep it under the carpet. So in any of those six continents, do you have to change your approach at all? Or is it pretty consistent?
2: No, I... I make an effort to be who I am. And really, my act stays the way my act is everywhere I am. I think that comedy is relatable and it doesn't matter where you are in the country, where you are in the world. Obviously, if they don't speak the language, then it gets tough. I've also (laughs) done some comedy shows on the USO tour circuit and I'm doing shows. I'm like, man, that was a tough crowd. And then I get off stage and they're like, yeah, most of those people don't speak English. So you were, and <laughs> they had no idea what you were saying. So that, that becomes a, a barrier. But I think the way I am is, is always the way I am. I, I'm not going to change who I am or feel like I need to hide. I want to do everything. If I can't walk as far, if I have to sit down, I'm going to sit down, but I want to see all the stuff. I'm a very aggressive tourist too. I like to see as many monuments as I can. I'm a big fan of history. I don't care if I can't climb the stairs. I'm going to try to, I went into the pyramids and I was like, look, I'm going to do it. I may sit down along the way and I'm going to do everything. And I have gone into certain countries where people have told me just that, that as a little person, they were surprised because people with disabilities are generally not out and about. And that disability is something that many people sort of hide themselves and their families. It's been interesting where people on the street have come up to me and been like, we're just so happy you're out. We're so happy to see you and shake my hand. I'm like, yeah, I'm here. (laughs) It is what it is.
1: That's awesome. How did you get the cojones to stand to do comedy and get in front of a group
2: in the first place? And how old were you? Were you in New Haven when you started? As I said, I really feel I started doing stand-up when I was a little kid through speeches because I would always do jokes and very similar to how I do stand-up now where you're addressing a situation, you're doing crowd work, you're uh, (laughs) joking about the podium being too high or just other making fun of a light switch or something else, but it wasn't really comedy. It was those were speeches and I would use jokes. But when I went to college, because I went to school for business, believe it or not, I, I thought I was going to go into Wall Street and all kinds of other areas. So I double majored in marketing and entrepreneurship. I went to Temple University, Fox School of Business, graduated with honors and had all these other kind of opportunities to be in corporate America, which I decided to just go full steam into comedy but my origins the comedy was my first week of college at Temple University. I was on a date with a little person and we're totally became the act. This comedian was just like, ah, look at Willow's wife. And we just were just, they were just drilling us. And this is my first week outside of living with my parents. And I, my girlfriend at the time was very upset about the situation. And I wasn't upset. I was like, look, I just didn't like the way they were doing it. It wasn't, I was like, I want to tell my side of the story. And so I just, I talked to the MC and because he saw that my girlfriend at the time was upset and he talked to me and I was like, I'm not upset. I was like, I just, I want to tell my side of the story. And he's like, come back next week. And he just said that casually. But I was like, okay, I think I will. And I think just because I was so stupid when young, I was like, just go up and <laughs> I'm now a comedian, so I just went up, and unbeknownst to that circumstance, but I broke up with my girlfriend during that week, and we also had all these other circumstances, and I basically just did one long riff about my life from the week before, about how we were at this comedy show, and we were getting heckled and all everything that was wrong and the relationship and what about me what did I do and I basically had a very good set and so from that first time of doing comedy I started getting paid gigs where people came up to me and they were like hey we love your act and how long you've been doing it and we want to hire you and I was like to be honest this is like <laughs> a little new in the sense that that was the first time but I fell in love with it and it's something that I loved and I think I was always the class clown and would always do jokes as a kid and talk about my life. And I was always comfortable talking about being a little person or talking about circumstances I was in because I was an athlete, too. I love playing sports and I love playing basketball and football on the street with kids in my neighborhood. And I would just I'd have to sit down and I had complete reconstructive surgery, my hips, ankles and knees. I had two body casts and I learned how to walk twice and lived in hospitals for large stints of my childhood. Rather than going the approach of "what was me, I would always go from the approach of, you gotta hear this funny thing that happened while I was there. I bet you never seen me before when I showed up in a movie theater on a full body cast and rolling up. I, I would always just to have fun in moments versus sit in awkwardness.
1: Must have been hard at first. That first one when you got heckled—is was that really hard, or do you were you just like, screw that? I'm gonna, I can own this.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's. I think I'm just saying this out loud now, but I feel like I have a competitive nature and spirit. I love sports. I love kind of, I I took that as a challenge that I need to get up on stage. And like before I even decided I was going to go up on stage, in my head, I was already thinking about I could do this and I want to get up there and I want to make fun of this guy. Or even though that's not really, I'm not that guy that makes fun of other people, but I wanted to tell my point of view. I Really, I think that I forgot even who that comedian was. That was a long time ago, it was 20 years ago. I don't know who he, who that person is. I don't know if he's still doing comedy, where he is in his life, but he motivated me to get into comedy. I'm just putting this together now, but that a lot of it, it is the origins of my comedy. Who <laughs> was this person that inspired me? Did you have other mentors like that growing up? Even say little people like
1: I remember when I first met somebody who who were blind. I went to blind camp at the Carroll Center for the Blind in in Massachusetts. And I was like, I don't want to meet other blind people. Because I grew up as the only blind guy in my community. But when I met blind people, I was like, oh, this is cool. It's like a good experience. But at first I was a little negative on it. What about you? Did you meet people who were like you or were you like the only one in your community?
2: Yeah, I was the only little person in my community. Both my parents are average height. Both my brothers are average height. There'd never been a little person anywhere that anyone knew of. And my parents got me involved in Little People of America since I was a a little kid. I started going to conventions. Little People of America was founded by Billy Barty, who was a famous little person uh, actor and really revolutionized little people in society by creating Little People of America in the 50s. And I got a chance to meet him when I was five years old at my first conference. And I have a photo of me and him, which I really cherish in a lot of senses. My hero since I was five and still to this day. But I've always loved going to these little people conventions. I became friends with all these little people. And I started competing as a swimmer and was very competitive. So Little People of America has Little People of America, and they also have the Dorf Athletic Association of America. So every year, there's a national convention. And during the convention, there's also the Dorf Athletic Association of America, which happens at the same time. And so we would go to the Little People Convention. But really, my parents saw how important competing was because they know I love sports so much, even at that age. So I was a competitive swimmer, basketball player, all these things at the Dorf Athletic Association of America. So I always loved and embraced being with all these little people. And it's just such a special feeling to go to a little people convention and to show up and to see 2000 little people also there and that you can look everybody in the eye Uh, And as a kid, be able to compete against other people your size. Uh, So that was something very competitive and amazing. And something funny about that, too, is I think for all little people in our heads, we all think as kids that we're like the greatest athlete of all time. (laughs) But we just aren't as good because we're so much shorter than everybody else. You go to a little people convention And you think you're just going to dominate like you're Michael Jordan. Like everybody thinks the (laughs) same way. (laughs) And you're like, oh, wait a minute. There's so many great athletes and and people that are better than me. (laughs) You're getting your butt kicked by these guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's but I truly appreciate that experience. And it shapes who I am as a person. And I love going back now and. Hanging out with little people, both the community aspect of it, but also I've coached little people kids in soccer and basketball and still enjoy being there both for the little people conventions and the DAAA, which is Dwarf Athletic Association of America Games.
1: Have they ever asked you to speak
2: or do comedy at one of those conventions? Oh, yeah. So I do all the time. It's been hard lately just because of, one, the pandemic. So I hadn't been to a little people convention Since 2019, they had them last year and this year, but I became a new dad. So I have a two-year-old, and that just adds another layer of scheduling. (laughs) Thanks. That's been because I tour a lot, both with myself as a comedian, and also I tour with Nate Bargatze, who is another comedian that we tour together, and then I'm doing it. Acting and all kinds of speaking events and events related to the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. It's made me prioritize my life a little bit more since I became a dad. Of being like, oh, I I also have to be here a little.
1: <laughs> of course, yeah, it must be tough to balance. Hey, I have a side question that I'm I'm interested in. I always start with like blindness, my situation, like. I'm blind. It's not like a disease necessarily. My, my retinaschesis is a disease, but blindness isn't really a disease, a state of mind. And I was thinking a little person, people say, oh, that's a, some kind of disease, but it's not. It's really like a state of being. And I heard you use the word dwarf as part of that organization. And words become politically incorrect. Like even blindness is maybe some people are like, it's okay to say that word. How do you see that in your life? How do you relate to that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Little People of America, believe it or not, when it was formed by Billy Barty, was originally called Midgets of America. And then eventually the organization changed the title to Little People of America. The word midget has a lot of baggage, I would say, because it it, it derived from midge, which is an insect, and it was there during the circus days and they would use this as a way to separate and consider people like insects. The word midget isn't a real word, whereas dwarf is what I am. I have pseudo dwarfism and little people is just the term that (laughs) is the decided term. And you know what? I'm going to go along with that. If that was what everybody likes, I'm not famous enough to change the word that we all like. (laughs) And <laughs> so I'm going to go along with the word. Yeah, right. as it is. Roll but, with it. But I also feel that in terms of words and it's important to embrace your identity and your community. I think the word disability, there's power in it. The Americans with Disabilities Act and little people and those that have dwarfism are covered under those jurisdictions and those protections that are there as a part of the ada so there's a, a guy who i'm friends with lawrence carter long who came up with a campaign said say the word disability and i think that there's so much pride in the word disability and i encourage those to really embrace it and really even before i was so involved in the disability community I always my philosophy on life was always let's just yes I'm a little person I have dwarfism let's just say it don't now he's a he's this he's that he's, I don't want the explanation to be longer than the moment and I just I would rather just continue on my name is Nick right uh, I like New York Giants I'm a big football fan I love ping pong I love this I love that I love comedy I love swimming I love riding my bike all these different things but I think that the more we can just go into the conversation in the moment and i think sometimes we get into challenges when we want to over explain who we are versus keeping it yeah is my friend he's blind yeah he's my friend he's a wheelchair user yeah he's my friend she's this and i always go to how they want to be i look I'm not going to say how you should be uh, identified. And if you're like, hey, I I like to be called this, then I'm like, then that's what we're going to say. But for me, I'm okay with little person, dwarfism, person of short stature. I'm okay with anything. But I think the quicker we get to it versus fumbling around, then the easier it is for us to get into life and into what we want to do, it becomes something too for work and for community. The more we're able to just quickly identify who people are and explain that, yes, this is my friend Nick. He's a little person. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. That it also, <laughs> it's not solely who I am, but it's, it also could help out in a situation if to know that there may be a stepstool that will be there for me if I need it or to know that I may need help in certain areas or help carrying something. I don't see that as a negative. I see it as a positive when we identify who we are in our disability.
1: That's great. Yeah. I, I love that response. And I, I read a book and there's a guy that's come to No Barriers. I think his name's is Zach Adair. He's got cerebral palsy. He does some bit of stand-up and stuff. And he said differently able." these I don't like that word differently able." these because it's always referred to to People with disabilities, he's, you wouldn't call LeBron James differently abled. I always thought that was funny. <laughs> his book, yeah. by the way, is called If at Birth You Don't Succeed. You know that guy,
2: <laughs> yes, he's very funny, and I agree. Differently abled, it's to me, it's I'm not differently abled, I have a disability, but I'm not differently able. <laughs>
1: Hey, how'd you get into acting then? So did the stand-up, it sounds like it came first, and then acting evolved, but that must have been pretty scary going out on
2: auditions and stuff like that.
1: At first, of course, now you're, you're dialed.
2: Yeah, you, you, that's the funny thing about the entertainment industry. You're never really fully dialed. <laughs> you talk to somebody who's been acting for four years and they're still like, ah, I don't know. I don't know when the next thing. But there's that's the beauty of it. And that's the, the community of actors. But for me, really, it was stand up. So I'm just curious, like when you're getting offers now, are they to
1: play someone as a little person or, you know what I mean? Cause the world's getting so messy, right? Like Bridgerton, you have African-Americans playing like traditional white roles and, but on the other side you have back to the National Federation of the Blind, or, or the blind actors, they're like, why are sighted people playing blind people? And so it's it's really messy. So most of those offers for roles as a little person or just, do you just show up sometimes in an audition
2: with everyone else? So I was doing community theater before I went to school actually for business. So my my background was I loved sports, as I talked about. And then all of a sudden everybody got so big and I stayed three foot ten. So I couldn't compete sports anymore. So I started to do community theater and school plays. So I actually had done some acting. But then went to school for business and started doing stand-up and then learned, hey, I really should get more into acting because this is the way forward and this is the way to get opportunities to further you as a comedian. But also, I always had a love of acting. I was doing school plays and I was doing community theater. And then after college, I had that moment where... I was like, look, I'm either going to quit all this and just go into the business world or I am going to just put the pedal to the metal and continue to pursue entertainment. And so I got into acting. I sent headshots. This is dating myself. I mailed headshots to agents. Now everything would be done through emails. And (laughs) I was sending VHS tapes of my stand-up and headshots and resumes and mailing it out to all all these agents. And I eventually got an agent and started to get auditions. But to go back to your question, are, are auditions mostly about my height? Yeah, a lot of my auditions to start with were solely about my height. So that's what motivated me to start producing my own content. I would do little short films and I would do web series so that I could play three-dimensional characters. And and that really gave me the, the opportunity to be a gangster. And then from there, I got to be on The Sopranos. And then that led to me being on Boardwalk Empire and all these other shows. So it was a, a neat thing to be able to produce my own content and that giving me the opportunity to play other roles. Now I have been honored to get a lot of opportunities both in front of and behind the camera in producing and doing all kinds of other things but as an actor I've been able to play roles that weren't really written for somebody who was a little person but being a little person is part of who I am. You can't hide the fact that I'm three foot ten so a lot of times it gets worked out into the script, whether it's subtle or it becomes something that we address, whether it be through camera work, where it has to go from a wide shot of everybody to a separate shot of me because I am not, I don't fit in frame. But certainly I've been able to be very lucky in that I've continued to get a lot of roles that really weren't solely about my height, but also roles that were written for me. That that included my height. I got to guest star on The Good Doctor in a role that was written by a guy, David Renaud, who's a wheelchair user. And the role goes into my dwarfism, but also expands out about me being this kind of power broker guy who's a businessman, and he happens to have two girlfriends. And I won't give away the storyline, but they intersect as I'm in the hospital. (laughs) in separate visits.
1: Which is so cool because I've heard you talk about these like more three-dimensional roles rather than stereotypical offers that might have happened in the past.
2: And you know what, though? I, in terms of three-dimensional roles and stereotypical, I have my own parameter too. I always, I want to be in on the joke always. I never want to be the joke. So that's something that I've turned down certain roles because I felt, look, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I've told my agent I didn't want to do certain things. And then also, I've taken certain jobs. And I've talked to the directors and producers. And I've changed, I've suggested changes along the way. Hey, what if my character, what if he said this instead? Here's how the, the, this one character says to me and I say nothing. What if instead he says this to me and I say that? And I've always, through my experience, had directors, producers, and people I've worked with been open to and actually excited about changes to make things more authentic and not offensive. Because at the end of the day, I want to do things I'm proud of, too. And I think, to me, I also think I've done fantasy roles, and I've done all kinds of roles. And I think, to me... It's also about doing things that you feel at the end of the day that you're proud of and that that have something where the character is interesting or you're able to do something that you're proud of. And I think also, I don't think that people with disabilities should be excluded from fantasy roles or comedy. Why should only people that don't have disabilities be able to play roles like that? So to me, I think it's more about authenticity. And I think that the way forward with that is also bringing people with disabilities, little people, wheelchair users, blind, deaf, people with cerebral palsy, into the writer's room. And so make it more that that we have a seat at the table and we're able to tell that authentic story together. I hate to be negative, but I'm thinking of like
1: this thing that Trump said, one time about the Paralympics he's like everyone go watch the Paralympics but he's like I like the Paralympics but just not too much of it and do you think that taps into people's discomfort or something like that I feel uncomfortable seeing you know a disabled person out there like what do you think the phenomenon is that that is the barrier perhaps even though I know every day you're breaking through all those barriers
2: First of all, not a fan of that comment. (laughs) None of us are. Um, Look, we're all living our own lives. I can't worry about what other people think or what the other barriers are. I just have to look at what I want to do, set my own goals, and just keep plugging. I know as a comedian, I can get on stage. I can tell jokes. I can be funny. I can keep pursuing what I want to do and I can't worry about everybody else. I can't worry about why people aren't hiring me. I got to just keep plugging away. And that's my philosophy with the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. Let's not talk about what we want to do. Let's create. You have to make a film over the course of five days. And you know what? This year we had a 15 films created from around the world, starring and created by people with disabilities. So I highly encourage everybody to go to disabilityfilmchallenge.com, watch the films. And these films, they become working databases for our Film Challenge participants. So when studios, when networks, when independent filmmakers, when casting directors, they're looking for talent, they can literally go to and watch somebody on the autism spectrum or somebody with Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or blind or deaf or a little person or a wheelchair user, be the lead, be the gangster, be the romantic lead, be the hero, be the bad guy, be the bad woman, be the role they want to be. And then any other barriers are broken through because you just see the talent. And I think that's, to me, optimistic about the future Because, one, the amount of people with disabilities, we are undeniable. One in four Americans identify as having a form of disability. That is a study from the CDC. One in four Americans. That's 61 million Americans that have a disability. And yet we're also the most underrepresented community. And I've seen the talent. All these participants with disabilities are making great films year after year, they're doing the work, they're writing, they're enacting class, they're ready for these roles. And you know what? The time is now because there's never been more outlets for people to get themselves discovered. There's never been more outlets for distribution. And people with disabilities want to see authentic representation. We don't want to see some, uh, you know, an outdated representation. And we don't want to see things from the past. The way forward is us doing it ourselves and being our own bridge.
1: I think that's so cool, and I really love this. I think that is so barrier-breaking, this idea that as a disabled person, you don't have to play an inspirational role. You can be an a-hole. You can be a villain, right? You can be a guy with two girlfriends, right? That's I love. I absolutely love that. The Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. What were the challenges if somebody wants to create a cool... Organization and program like that, what were some of the things people should look out for in terms of building sure. a movement as you have?
2: Honestly, 10 years ago when I created the Disability Film Challenge, I thought it was going to be a one time competition to help friends with disabilities make films, get themselves out there following my model. I went into it with just the ambition of trying to make change and trying to create opportunities. And then right away, it led to jobs. It started to, so it kept growing year after year. But a lot of times people want to come to me and now we're sponsored by all the studios, all the networks, Fortune 500 companies. And we've grown to really be a resource that helps people from around the world. But it's been a subtle growth where year after year we get more films and more opportunities and more sponsors. But for somebody that wants to, one, if you want to be an artist, create. If you want to be an actor, get into acting class and act and do as much as you can on your own. Same for writers, directors, producers, do as much as you can. If you want to be a comedian, get on stage, do as much as you can. If you want to create a program to help other people, you need to just do it. Honestly, it's a marathon. In starting things, you're gonna have to put your own money a lot of times into it. You're gonna, the there's not gonna be a team of so many people in the beginning. <laughs> it's a lot of you doing a lot of work and bringing sandwiches to workshops and getting your family in. There's and, no craft you know, uh, and, food tent. No, and there's it's the love <laughs> of the game. This is something that at right now I'm. I literally go to bed excited about this and excited about opportunities to do workshops and to do, cause we do year round activations and workshops where we're teaching our participants, casting opportunities, like how actors can build their portfolios and, and learn from casting directors and same for editors and directors and producers. And it's all about just creating these opportunities. And it's something that I go to bed thinking about and excited about you if you want to do something like this, and I'm sure similar to what you did, this has got to be something that you want to do and a lot of passion. You want to go into to something. And I never saw this as a movement. It's just something that I wanted to do <laughs> to help other people. But really out of it, community has come and we've gone to events and we've invited people to Uh, all these different opportunities to apply for fellowships and screenings and opportunities to network. So you need to to really go into it. If you want to create some kind of a program, think about it like you're an entrepreneur and how are you going to start it? Maybe you have a lot of money and a lot of resources and hey, good on you. But for many people that don't have that, you need to start small and then scale it as you go. And if you do the work, and you believe in it, it'll grow. But you have to really be creating something that there is a need for, and also be realistic. I was realistic with what I could do. It's a one-time film competition, and I'm doing things year-round to make this happen, and year-round workshops to get people excited for it and give them the tools to do this. But if I were to do this beyond the once-a-year one, I think it would make the challenge not as exciting. And it's been something that I've had a lot of requests and and I've it has to be a once a year competition because otherwise we're gonna run into to problems where there's we're competing against ourselves. So I think it it's important to set I like uh, that expect- build up.
1: I think that's good lead time.
2: Yeah, it's 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 important to set expectations for yourself. But also I always say to artists too. This is something that the reason why the challenge has grown is it is five days. You write, direct, produce, create your own film based on a a genre changes every year, but it's only five days. And for most artists, we have a hard time with deadlines. So this allows us to be able to actually, at the end of the day, you have to, to do it during our dates. You register. And then our dates, which are usually in early April, we haven't announced our 2024 dates yet. But the end of the competition, you have your own film and your own film, which you could submit to film festivals around the world and you can use as a calling card and you're now part of this community. So I think deadlines are very important and whether you're an artist or you're trying to create another program.
1: I watched, or I should say, I listened to one of your... Videos promoting the challenge and it was voices of the different filmmakers and actors and it was really super moving because you realize that these are people that wouldn't have a voice otherwise. I don't know, in the past they may not have been given the time of day and now they got a voice and they can express their art and their reality and their loves and passions and it's just, it's really powerful. It actually brought tears to my eyes a little bit when I saw that.
2: Yeah, no, I truly feel so honored that so many people with disabilities have been able to showcase their talent because the talent was there. And, there. and many of these people have worked hard in their careers and really fought for what they have. And I feel truly honored that they were able to be spotlighted and get opportunities and really have themselves heard through their films and through their content that they created for the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. So I highly encourage you all to go to disabilityfilmchallenge.com. It'll link you to our YouTube channel so you can see videos, our winning films, our playlists. Like I said, we had 115 films this year. They're all one to five minutes. This year was romance. What was your favorite, Nick? I, you couldn't get me to say that because <laughs> I know. I, come on. You're <laughs> like, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'm afraid I'm going to get assassinated by a little. There's going to be somebody with a disability who's going to put a hit out on me if I tell somebody I like
0: <laughs> another film
2: instead of theirs. No, I, they're all my favorite films. I love them all, but you know, quietly, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my favorite. No, no, honestly, it's hard. It's an off I'm actually not a, I'm not a judge because. I have a relationship now with so many of these Film Challenge participants. We have an amazing panel of judges, which include executives, directors, people with and without disabilities, Oscar nominees that, that are part of this panel of judges. And there's so many films that just are so great. And films, they're subjective, similar to comedy. So there's films that honestly, that weren't even nominated and didn't win that are some of my favorite films (laughs) that have been created over the years. And I got to say too, that so many of these films that have won and been nominated, they were by our 20 judges for a reason because they're great films. So I highly encourage you to watch all the films, but specifically our finalists and our playlist of of winners and finalists. And if you go to disabilityfilmchallenge.com, you hit the challenge tab, It'll walk you through about our story, but also about past challenges. So you'll be able to see what each of these different genres are, what previous winning films are. And I really encourage you to watch all these films. And I'm just so proud of them. And I'm I'm proud to be a part of this talented disability community.
1: Yeah, I'm proud to be even talking to you because it's just so cool what you've built. And one thing I did notice that I thought was really interesting... Is that when you made the announcement for the winners on one of your videos, you were at the Sony Studios and you were like under a rainbow, like with an homage to the Wizard of Oz. And people with disabilities might have, one approach might be like, oh God, I'm embarrassed by those roles back then that people with disabilities had to take. But you seem to honor it and have homage towards the past. That's really cool. I don't know, maybe I misunderstood it, but it it seemed like you really had
2: a a, a respect for the people that came before you. Absolutely. Our history is part of who we are. And for little people that were in The Wizard of Oz, really the reason why Little People of America exists and the community of little people, it stems from this nationwide casting search for the munchkins of the wizard of oz they did a nationwide search little people from all over the country came here and they worked on that movie and as a result southern california has actually the largest population of little people in the world because there is a greater chance of having another little person when you have when you are a little person so passing that on through genetics Um, But really, the origins of Little People of America started by all these little people coming out here to work on The Wizard of Oz and then continuing to work on other projects, but then staying here, having families, hanging out, having barbecues, the community of it. I truly feel that there's so much history. And the fact that we're able to have our award ceremony at Sony Picture Studios where they filmed The Wizard of Oz, is truly special, not only this year, but for the last couple years. And we've been able to do our award ceremonies in person, but also virtual, thanks to Microsoft Teams. Whether you're in person and able to come and attend, or you are a nominated participant based in another state, city, or even country, you could still Be a part of the award ceremony. We had a winner this year, Rachel Handler, get brought on to the big screen and that she won. And all of a sudden now she's on that giant big screen at Sony Picture Studios. So it's just been very exciting. Nick, this has been terrific, man. Last question, and because
1: I love a love story. Oh, yeah, man. I know. Yeah. How'd you meet your
2: wife? And and what's your love advice for the world? Well, I met my wife at a little people convention. I met her through a friend who's also a little person. And it was actually, she was literally going to leave this little people convention. And she was kind of out the door and she was gone and didn't really have a great experience at the conference. Because I got to say, it is a bit overwhelming. When it's your first time and you're you're amongst So many little people, or or if you're blind, I'm sure you go into a blind convention. It's your first one. It's overwhelming. She was literally on her way out the door, and she was going to leave and was gone. And the reason she was there was at the time, now she works as a development executive, but she was an actor. And she was there to look for other little people, actors, or get advice. And so she was gone, and she told my friend, "She's oh, I was trying to find information about little people actors but anyways I actually have to leave and I'm about to head out but it was nice to meet you to my friend and he was like but wait this is my friend Nick and he's an actor you should meet him before you go and then we met and we were just friends for a while did long distance and it ended up this is back in 2009 so we've been together now for quite a while and my advice is that Get good friends that hook you up, but, and also (laughs) a certain amount of fate.
1: That's awesome. Man, that's cool. And then, and of course you mentioned that you're a dad now. I know the balancing act gets even more difficult now that you have a kid, right?
2: Yeah, it's, it certainly does. I am a proud dad. I have a two-year-old and it certainly is the most amazing thing in my life and the greatest job and something I'm most proud of and what I love the most. But with that, it also it definitely adds a new layer of responsibility where it's not just about your career anymore and your goals, but it's also about keeping your daughter alive <laughs> and being there for her and having one together. and
1: <laughs> Keep her alive first and then be there for her. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Nick, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. It's really fun to get to know you. And uh, yeah, definitely if you're out in the mountains of Colorado in August, late August, come to the No Barrier Summit and it'd be great to
2: meet in person. Uh, I would love that. So I'm I'm hoping that works out. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Or if not, you could just bring me to Mount Everest. I will. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, if if not, if that, yeah. you're ready yeah I've never I have a hard time climbing two flights of stairs but Diedrich's already told me I'm ready for it so don't oh yeah worry. you're ready we got you covered <laughs> me
1: and Diedrich'll
2: we'll, we'll get you to the summit all right thanks buddy I appreciate you so much
1: and we'll meet in person soon thanks
2: all right thanks a lot
0: the production team behind this podcast includes producer Diedrich Chonk, that's me. Sound design and mixing by Tyler Cotman. Marketing and graphics support from Stone Lord. And web support by Jamlo. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at NoBarriersPodcast.com. That's NoBarriersPodcast.com. There's also a link to shoot me an email with any suggestions for this show or any ideas you've got at all. Thanks so much and have a great day.